Hey, it's Victoria from Team Girl Boss. I hope you're loving season two so far. I just wanted to pop in to talk about Girl Boss Daily, our must-read morning newsletter with over 200,000 dedicated subscribers. What can you expect? A-plus career advice, dream job postings, free coffee every Friday, and a few emojis, because we're fun like that. All delivered right to your inbox. Sign up by heading to girlboss.com slash newsletter. That's girlboss.com slash newsletter. See you tomorrow. Hello, and welcome back to Girlboss Radio. I'm your host, Avery. I'm the founder and CEO of the workplace design consultancy, Bloom. As your host, I'm on a mission to bring you real, useful advice through candid conversations with some of the world's most impressive women. Before we get into it, yes, I know, last week we talked about having a famous interior designer on, and we still will. We're recording with her next week. What can we say? Life got in the way. Plus, today's guest is pretty iconic. Tori Deal is a multi-hyphenate with a fascinating career path. She is the winner of MTV's The Challenge, a reality competition show where people are put to the test in a series of challenges and the winners walk away with their shares of a million dollars. She runs a self-care community and shop. She's an OnlyFans creator, the host of not one, but two podcasts and a children's book author. She is the embodiment that women can have multi-hyphenate career tracks and I am so here for it. What I love most about Tori is she really just goes for it. Starting an OnlyFans, yes. Write a children's book, why not? Push your body to the absolute limit for a million dollars, no problem. To me, Tori is a woman who challenges the notion that women can only be one thing. Okay, I'll stop gushing. We talked about defying other people's expectations, her ayahuasca journey, and how much she really makes on OnlyFans. Let's get into it. I am very excited to share that I have one of my favorites on the podcast to have a conversation with today. She's like showing me a little heart so you can't see it, but I can. For those of you who are fans of the challenge, Tori is joining us. Tori, welcome to Girl Boss Radio. Thank you. First of all, Avery, it's an honor to be here with you. This is like a career high for me to be on this platform talking. So thank you so much for inviting me. Uh, I'm just so excited to dig into your career and what led you to everything that you're doing today. It's so interesting because I've obviously watched you from like the vein of all the different MTV reality TV shows. And as much as I would love to dig in today on all the behind the scenes of your massive win recently, how do you feel about that? Just, I have to ask a couple little things about the challenge. Of course. Yeah. I mean, that also is a career high when you compete on the challenge and you compete for seven seasons, your goal, your only goal is to win. So to finally be able to add that to my resume, it's like, okay, I did it. And now I can just keep expanding from that place. Yes. As we moved into the second season, I was really wanting to have someone on the podcast that has a multi-hyphenate career. And to me, you are the embodiment of doing all the things that you want to do and simultaneously being really successful at it. Not only did you win the challenge this past season, but you represent to me the shift that we're seeing in work trends towards having multiple career journeys and sometimes in tandem at the same time. Yes, absolutely. It's been a hustle, but I love every minute of it. So it's always exciting. I can totally imagine. So before we dive into your career journey, 
I want to do something a little bit different. So usually I ask people whether they believe they're successful later on in our conversation. But before listeners actually learn a little bit more about you and all the things that you're up to, as you know, we're all about defining success on our own terms at Girl Boss. What does success mean to you? I think it's really evolved over time, especially because I've been on TV for the last seven years. And originally my success goal was honestly to have a life similar to the Kardashians, live big and lavish and rich. And now after seeing the amount of work I've put into small projects, watching them grow, watching them be perceived by others as beautiful things and winning the challenge, of course, I would be doing myself a disservice to not say maybe it wasn't my idea of what success was originally, but of course I consider myself successful now. Even just being happy with my life, waking up and going outside and having coffee with my cat, success right there. I want to dig a little bit deeper into your archetype of success and working towards, I guess, the Kardashians. Like, what was it about their career journey that inspired you to aspire to what they have achieved? I think it's really just the way media pushes luxury living on us. And it makes us believe like, wow, they're beautiful. They're happy. They're rich. They can do whatever they want. And I think just that has, and the Kardashians are just one version of it, but we've seen that same story throughout time. And so if you're a kid who grew up watching TV or reading tabloids or any of those things, how can you not glorify that lifestyle? So originally, yeah, that looked successful to me, but walking in and out of the entertainment world from the side I've seen it on now, I'm just happy for peace, just peace of mind. That is success. Do you think that your ideal of whether you are successful or not comes in waves or you got to the point now where you're like, yes, like I am successful and I feel this way every single day? This is a good question because I do believe the belief in it definitely comes in waves. After you finish a project or you do something successfully, you're going to celebrate that. But then you come back to your base level and you're like, okay, what's next? So figuring out how to feel that feeling of success, even when you're not putting out a project, even when you're working on the three years that it took you to release the book in one day, you have to find that feeling of success even within the work. So I only feel like I've really come into it recently, but it definitely is just feeling the peace, that underlying bliss that just kind of lives now under the surface, looking back at everything I've accomplished and knowing that and trusting that I was able to do it before and I'll be able to do it again. And I think that that's a really hard thing for people to hold on to is that you have like little spikes where you feel successful, but I don't think we talk about enough how the idea of success oftentimes comes in waves. I think that for me now into our second season of Girl Boss Radio, I used to believe wholeheartedly that I was successful, but I don't know if it's just 2023. <laughs> I don't know what it is, but I feel like this year in particular, even though we're only in March, has been particularly challenging. I know I'm not alone in this. I don't feel as successful every single day this year. And it's so interesting. And I think that maybe it's because I'm coming down from having accomplished quite a lot last year. So yeah, I think that that's a really interesting perspective is that peace and that knowing and perhaps holding on to that. Because you're right, sometimes you'll work on a project for three months and it launches in a day. And I think that one thing that I want to get back to is how you represent the shift that we're seeing towards multi-hyphenate career journeys. They say that Gen Zers and even some millennials will likely have 17 different jobs, as well as working across five different industries, which is wild to me. And knowing all the things that you've done, like you are a reality TV star and champion, <laughs> you're a podcast host, an OnlyFans creator, and you recently wrote a children's book, which is amazing. I want to learn a little bit more about your OnlyFans career as a creator. When did you start your OnlyFans? I started about a year and a half ago. Yeah. So it's 
pretty fresh, but also it's been pretty successful since dropping it and releasing it. So just seeing how it's helped my life and taken some stress away, it's been a project I'm happy about and proud of. That's incredible. So why did you choose to start an OnlyFans? What brought you to that space? Yeah. So it's funny because one of my castmates who I actually just won the challenge with Devin, he had an OnlyFans for a year prior. And so while we're in a challenge house, there's hours that go by, we're talking, we're talking about what we're going to do when we get out of here. And somehow OnlyFans came up in the conversation. He told me that he makes over six figures and my jaw hit the floor. I'm like, if anybody hasn't seen Devin before, he's a very attractive man, but you would never look at this guy and think he's making six figures on OnlyFans. Like I love him to death, but so I'm like, no way. If he is doing this, what numbers could I put up? And so I went home and I really thought about it. And I, I at that point in time, I just lost the challenge by 10 seconds. I came in second place on Spies, Lies and Allies by literally 10 seconds. And I was like, 50 grand is nice. That was a really nice chunk of change. But like, what could I do if I dropped an OnlyFans? How much stress would that alleviate from me? Therefore, when I go back into the challenge house, I don't have money on my mind as much. I now just am focused on getting that title that I've always wanted. And yeah, I went home. I talked to my family first, which was really important for me. I have a father who's like an amazing dad. And I was like, how am I going to tell my dad I'm dropping an OnlyFans? kind of explained it to him like it's kind of like a pinup girls calendar but on social media and he was like okay so he was really supportive about it so I, I released it and in the first month I did forty thousand dollars and I was like okay like it's time to just figure out how to live on this platform exist here without feeling like I'm sacrificing parts of myself that I don't want to I don't want to cross any boundaries that I'm setting so I wrote a list of things that I was not going to post or I didn't feel comfortable posting at that time and continue to come back to it when I ever felt pressured to post more. What I love about your journey to getting on OnlyFans is that there was a man who essentially removed a barrier for you and said, hey, listen, this is how much I'm earning. And I think that it's about that information sharing that really inspires or encourages people to maybe sometimes work outside of their own comfort zone. And I love when people talk about money because this is where we really close that gender pay gap, right? It's like a small little thing, but as someone that's watched Evan and your relationship over the years, it's so interesting that he had this monumental impact on another career journey that you embarked on. That's so wonderful and empowering. That's the way I look at the way I work on that platform. Even though they're risque photos, I still look at them and I'm I'm not not proud of them. I would be okay if they leaked to the internet because I put it out there. We actually did something via my company, Bloom. We had a question come in from an HR professional saying, hey, what do I do if I find out that an employee has an OnlyFans? And our first response was, do nothing and mind your own business. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Because what it comes down to is the individual who is working for your company, they're helping you anyway, but it's good to have another source of income because you don't know how that's going to give them freedom of mind if they have income coming in. And now I'm not stressing, when is my next paycheck? What is this? What is that? Because that's coming in naturally. And now I can take my energy and not worry so much. I can put it into creativity, which is also the beautiful thing I've been able to do with the time and money that I've had from OnlyFans. Yeah. And what you're talking about is no different than what anyone does with side work. So if you have a side gig on top of your nine to five and you're perhaps doing design work, or maybe you have a dog daycare or <laughs> you have a podcast like I do, right? I think that as so long as it's not in competition where you're actively like taking on clients with the organization or offering similar services, then it really shouldn't be in conflict with whatever working agreement you have, whether it be with MTV or with a corporate company that you're working with. So I think that that's great that uh, MTV is progressive with that. 
Yeah, so do I. MTV is like the best platform to work for. And just to touch one more thing on the OnlyFans, I also recognize that I'm going into a platform of sex work where sex workers have built this platform and it's possible because of them. So there are many times when I do collabs on my platform, specifically with friends who only specifically do sex work, just so that they can get some of the eyes on their pages as well. So I can almost share the wealth in that way. Because one thing I don't want to do is walk into that world and take from the women and the men who've already created it off their backs. So I think it's really important that if you do work in OnlyFans, you recognize that it's not, we can't just take advantage of a platform and not share it with the people who built it. Yeah. And honestly, Tori, that's such a great point. I think that a lot of people forget that trans people and a lot of folks from the 2S LGBTQIA plus community are folks that have spearheaded the sex work industry. And then even when we think about other historically marginalized communities, what we're finding, and we've seen like really big conversations, for example, with Bella Thorne, where people are entering the space, specifically people with like celebrity and clout, and they're taking from other creators. And I love that you are bringing other people along with you, offering opportunities to elevate and amplify their work. I wanted to kind of ask you a little bit about the boundaries. Are there some boundaries that you'd feel comfortable with sharing with us and folks that are listening? Yeah, I definitely don't post anything topless. I haven't done any nude photo shoots. Everything I do is just, what's the word I'm looking for? Like a, it's like a boudoir. Yeah. Like underwear. Yeah. It's, it's underwear. It's lingerie. I have my whole lingerie closet over there, which I love that I get to buy lingerie all the time. Yeah. I really do see it as a place where I can express my sexuality. I don't like to do that on Instagram because it's just Instagram to me. It's not the platform for it. I get to go on there and dance around. I love to dance. It's like one of my favorite things to do. And so I'll just like set up my camera and dance on it and feel amazing. I always feel so good after I'm done on OnlyFans and engaging with a lot of the people who are subscribed, talking to my subscribers and getting love from them. I get constant comments that are like, wow, Tori, your kid's book is so good. Or wow, Tori, like you did so good on this episode of the challenge. You're a rock star. Like everything is so positive. And of course there are people in there who are like, oh, you know, your subscription fee is too high for not posting any nudity. But at the same time, this is the way I want to go about this platform. So you don't have to subscribe if you don't want to. And and I wouldn't take that personally. I understand like there are certain people who go to OnlyFans looking for a certain type of content that I may not be providing. So yeah, everything is mostly just like risque videos and laundry shoots. But yeah, I really enjoy it. I love that. And before we get into your children's book, which I really want to talk about, you had said that you made $40,000 in your first month. What do you do on average now on OnlyFans? Yeah, it's gone now between like 25, 35, depending on the month and depending on how much work I'm doing on that platform. Obviously, if I promote it on Instagram, it drives sales over there. Or anytime I do a collab with somebody, we cross promote together and that's always really successful. But yeah, anywhere between $25,000 and $35,000. That's wild. That is so awesome. I know that there's been some concerns and complaints about OnlyFans as a platform for various reasons, which we're not going to get into today. But I do love that it's allowing women like you and other creators to take more control. I mean, a lot of people post stuff on Instagram and they're not actively or directly benefiting from that content. Exactly. That's exactly how I feel. And the only person or the group or the institution that's directly benefiting 
is Instagram. And I I think about this all the time. It's different type of content, but I did a lot of work around like anti-racism education. And I was sharing a lot of posts that would take me months to craft and create. And and later on, I ended up starting to collaborate with people on my team at Bloom. And I was actually paying them to support with collectively putting out this content because we thought it was the right thing to do to support people at their DEI educational journeys. But what I discovered was that we were doing ourselves a disservice because the only company or the institution that was benefiting directly from all of the effort that we're pouring into Instagram was Meta. Exactly. It puts the power back in the creator's hand, which is really nice because now I can, like I said, have that freedom of mind and that money and I can put it into another project that I want to work on, which is a dream. Are you a recruiter, manager, or HR pro looking for your next great hire? Head to the Girlboss Job Board to post your open role. Girlboss Jobs highlights the hottest listings in marketing, cannabis, tech, finance, social media, and more for our community of over 2 million ambitious women. We're kind of like career matchmakers. Head to jobs.girlboss.com. That's jobs.girlboss.com to post and promote your job today. You're listening to my conversation with Tori. Next up, we talk about Tori's passion project, writing her first children's book. Let's get back into it. So speaking about other projects, we have talked a little bit about your children's book. And what I love is it seems like such a big departure from being a reality TV star and a champion, as well as an OnlyFans creator, which is such a terrible assumption. It's just people can and are many different things. So tell me a little bit about what inspired you to write a children's book of all things. I've always been a writer at my core. That is what I do. And I think I've always looked for ways to express myself. And then it's kind of evolved over time into now writing poetry and then a children's book. And I have a few more coming out in the future. It's my favorite part of me. It's like when I'm hanging out with myself and I'm doing something I love and I'm just in total bliss. That is what I'm doing. I'm working on a project like a poetry book or a kid's book. So I love that I get to do it. But to be completely honest, that's not where I get my income from. So in order for me to live that life and to honor that passion, I really do need to create things around me that help me to be able to do that. So walking into reality TV was a really good one because obviously I'm creating a platform and I get to express myself on camera, which is fun. And then also OnlyFans is great in my eyes because I'm getting a nice source of income that now I can funnel into any creative project I want and then also just pay my regular bills. So it's really just a system I've set up in my life to be able to work on my favorite projects. Sometimes it's the passion projects that we love the most that don't garner any sort of money for us. I think over time they they can, but I think that they take time because people need to see one book. They need to see two. They need to see three. They need to like understand you and see you as that way before it can really sink in. So I think it just going to take some more time, but I feel good about it. So what's your first children's book about? I know, but for folks that are listening that aren't aware of it, tell us a little bit about the story. Yeah. So it's called The Search for Syrup. And every character in the in the book is a combination of a food and animal. So bumblepea, koala pear, cinnabunny, ratish. And so it's just a journey where these two characters, bumblepea and koala pear, go through this beautiful land of breakfast foods, through muffin mountains, milky rivers, all the way to Pancake Palace and ask the pancake princess for syrup. And it's just awesome. It's so whimsically drawn and I'm so proud of it. I actually started writing it when I was filming Dirty 30, the first season of the challenge I ever did, because we were 
sitting in a house for 11 weeks and I was bored. So I was like, you know, I have a pen and a notepad. Let me just start messing around with ideas. And three years later, finally came to fruition. Once I worked with my friend Vera, we put out the project together, but it's, yeah, it's my favorite kid's book. And I put it out two years ago now. And I still get messages from people about how it's their kid's favorite book and they make them read it a hundred times to them. So that's really why I'm putting out another one because it's gotten such positive feedback. Of course. I mean, it's combining our favorite things, animals and food. A Cinnabunny, that's so cute. It's so cute. I love that. And I think that what some folks that don't watch the challenge may not know is that when you're on the challenge, you don't have access to phones, internet. You're only basically, you're in a house with all these people that you're competing against, right? Right, exactly. Yeah, you're deprived of everything. You get one 10 minute phone call a week. Yeah. So you really don't have an outlet. And that's, that is the the goal to make it a pressure cooker. So that way people do have these explosions on TV. And even though the viewers are only watching an hour of it a week, we're surrounded by each other 24 seven. There's always a camera on our face. Yeah. So you created the safe space for you to escape to, so you could at least find balance and solitude, which I think is great at Pancake Palace of all at places. Pancake Palace. Yeah. <laughs> Where else? Were there many barriers that you encountered when you embarked on writing this children's book? Was there ever a time where you're like, you know what, I can't do this. I'm going to quit. It definitely got hard because the amount of money it took to put it together. So the investment for the kids book up front was $30,000 because of the illustrations themselves. And it was just a very expensive, long drawn out process. And I think coming back to it a second time, it's not going to be as expensive because there won't be as many mistakes. But I always like to say to people who ask me about writing a kid's book, it's a children's book, but it's an adult investment. If you draw the art yourself, it's a different story. But I wanted to go with my friend who is an incredible artist for a reason. So yeah, I think just knowing how expensive it was. And then after we had finished it, we brought it to publishers and it got turned down by everybody because they actually said it rhymed too much. And I was like, I love that part of the book. The whole thing rhymes and I wouldn't change a thing about it. So we got turned down by some major publishers and we were kind of sitting there like, all right, well, what do we do now? We put all of this work into the book. We finished it. We digitized it and now nobody wants it. So it was like, all right, we're going to self-publish. And honestly, I'm really thankful that we did it that way because it was just a great place to start from. And now I have so much more respect for people who self-publish because it is a tough field to navigate. You do everything by yourself. And like you were saying earlier, like maybe you'll have 17 different jobs. There could be 17 different jobs within one project. And that's basically what I learned about putting out a kid's book. So it's hard. You have to do everything. But like I said, it's my favorite thing I've ever done. I know one day it's the end of my life. I'm going to look back and be like, I wrote that and I did that. So it was worth it. It's so interesting. It's like some of the projects that I've done that I'm most proud of are the ones that didn't make me any money that aren't highly visible to people that are like so on the fringe of what it is that I do on a daily basis or what I would consider myself best at. And I think that there's a lot of folks that are probably listening right now that have those projects in mind, but are really afraid to perhaps give it a go. What advice do you have for people that have a project that will likely cost them money, will likely take a long time that they're sitting with and they haven't necessarily gone for it just yet? What advice would you give them? I think that's when you come back to what does success mean? How can I create something that's going to honor me that I'm going to walk away from and just be so proud of? So I'd say do it. I'd say look into how much it's going to cost you, see how much you have to save and spend some time doing it. And I guarantee you the day that you're creating and working on it, if it's truly your passion, that day is going to feel priceless. That day is going to feel good. And that is what success is. Feeling like you're working on something that you love. You are in the flow of creating. So do it for you. Do not do it for anybody else. And when it's said and done, let the flower bloom. 
whoever wants to smell it or see it, let them love it and let that be that. I think that we're so used to being in the practice of doing things where the output will match what we have to put into it. And I think that what you're saying is really important because I think that it's okay to do something and for it not to be like a massive success so long as you did it for you. And there's a lot of value in that too. And there's also, in my personal opinion, doing something that you're afraid to do and just even giving it a go, that's a successful venture in itself, right? Because moving past your own self-doubt, those own barriers, that can be a really hard transition to make. So women are boxed in and told they can only be one thing. And for millennia, this has been an ongoing problem that prevents women from really building out these big, robust careers. What advice do you have for women listening that feel like they can't do it all like you are? Take that belief that we're boxed in and smash the box, smash it, like shatter it. Because I don't know, you know, maybe other women can relate, but there is like a fire and a rage that exists in me that when somebody tells me I can't do something, it just makes me, at first it's like, damn it, I can't do it. And then it starts to grow and I start to think about it as it ruminates. And I'm like, no, I'm going to do it. And I think that it's interesting working on OnlyFans, being a children's book author, which are two things that totally clash. But to all of the girls out there who do OnlyFans and who are sex workers, you can absolutely create something in another field. And you have the freedom and the financial ability to do it. And honestly, show off to the world that you can do more. There's going to be people that like you and don't like you anyway. So you might as well just do what makes you feel good. I also think it's really important for women and young girls, especially to know that it's totally possible to do many things. And I feel that now it's interesting because I find that my overall job satisfaction has increased ever since I started doing Girl Boss because I have a bit of a creative departure from my job as a founder and CEO of an HR and workplace design consultancy. It's heavy work. It's challenging. I'm like leading a team of people. But I kind of have this fun space where I get to exercise this other muscle that helps me kind of explore new ways in which I can get better at my job as a founder. I don't know. I feel like there's a lot that comes from that diversity of skill sets and thoughts and perspectives and ways of working that are really great for like an individual. And I really don't think we talk about that enough when it comes to our own individual career journeys. Yeah, we're learning so much in every different field that we're working in. I think there's a reason why people are taking on multiple jobs at one time. I think that obviously with side gigs, it's really important to have multiple streamlines of income in general. Like I know that this is something that helps with wealth. And I say this all the time to my friends is like, oftentimes when you go into a store, the reason why they have multiple products is because it helps them to make more money, right? This is no different than your career. If you were to consider yourself as a store, thinking about all the things in which you can do to enrich your life and having little cups that you can fill up. For me, Girl Boss is a passion project and it fills me up in a really unique way, but it helps to complement other aspects of my life that help me to be happier on a daily basis. So yeah, no, I love that. What advice do you have for women listening in that are stuck, right? They're thinking about doing a children's book or maybe getting into OnlyFans and they've met some pretty real barriers like you've already mentioned. How do you move past that? What I would say is probably identify first who you're trying to impress right? And if it's an external force, if it's external people, you're looking for that validation. Think back to yourself in high school and all the people you were trying to impress back then and think about how they definitely don't matter now. So erase any external validation or disapproval out of your mind initially. And then once it's just you and your project, just figure out how to do it. Because why would you hold yourself back? You're saying with Girl Boss, like I'm doing with my kid's book, 
these things are fulfilling us in another way. So add more to your life. Even if you're losing maybe money because you're investing in the project, you're adding in another area and ultimately getting this more fulfilled sense of living. And I think just taking everybody out of the equation, focusing on yourself, doing it for you, because you're going to look back at one point and you're going to be like, damn, I could have used my time differently. You mentioned being rejected and and getting a no from a few publishing companies to the point where you actually pursued self-publishing, which I think is amazing. But then also in the challenge, you faced all sorts of different rejection, (laughs) being like being eliminated, put up for elimination, et cetera, et cetera. How do you navigate rejection? I've now just come to terms with the fact that rejection has made me way stronger for sure. I'm prepared for it. I don't, I don't not expect it, right? Like the rejection that that wall that's pushed up has made me strong enough to push it over in some way. And even though it's taken time, that's something that nobody can take from you. Now in the future, no matter who I'm with or surround myself with, nobody's going to be able to take this foundation of a person that I've built from scratch from me. So it's worth it. Even if you are met with rejection, how are you going to be savvy and still excite yourself to get back up in the morning and figure out, okay, what's the new way to go about it today? Yeah, I love what you're saying because that's so true. Because ultimately what you're doing is you're building a practice, which results in like a muscle, like a mental muscle of how you navigate and respond to rejection. And that takes practice like anything else, right? Yes, exactly. And I think that if we got to the place of success before we were ready to get there, what would we do with it? So I really do feel like every lesson along the way is important. Every loss is important because by the time you get the win, because it's going to come if you don't stop, by the time you get there, you're going to be prepared to have that win. And I truly feel relating it back to the challenge. If I would have won any sooner, I wouldn't have been in the mental place to be able to truly, truly respect what I have just done with my life. It took me seven years to get a win, seven years. And so by the time I got it, I did not celebrate the way old Tori would have celebrated. I didn't go out drinking. I literally went to the Amazon rainforest and did ayahuasca and like sat with myself. So I honor myself in a different way. And I think that if I would have won any sooner, it wouldn't have been the same experience. So I trust the process. And I think that that is something that I will continue to take forward with me for when I meet rejection again. I'm just not ready for whatever is on the other side of the wall. Yeah, totally. I love that. So speaking about your ayahuasca journey, you and I chatted about this offline. I've been thinking about doing it. One of my best friends just got back from doing ayahuasca in the Amazon and she said it was like the most overwhelmingly positive, life-changing experience she's had. We're not the co-signing ayahuasca use, of course, probably put a little PSA out there. So why did you end up doing that? Was it a friend that encouraged you to do? Is this something you've been wanting to do your whole life? I was actually petrified to do it once I heard about it and learned about it. And typically when something interests me like that, and with fear, especially, I watch plenty of documentaries on it. So I did, and I was even more scared. And I was like, I'm never doing this. Then my girlfriend called me up, hadn't talked to her in years. We had a falling out and she basically did ayahuasca. She saw me on her journey and she had a message for me. And it was the first time where I was like, wow, like maybe this is something I could do. And for some reason, when I was filming last season of Ride or Dies, the season I ended up winning, the entire time I was there towards the end, I was like, you know what? I'm already in South America. If I win this, I'm going to do ayahuasca. I'm going to do it. I won the challenge, was too tired to go do ayahuasca. So I was like, I need to go home. I get home and two days later, I get a phone call from my friend saying, hey, do you want to go do ayahuasca? I'm leading a small retreat in three weeks. And I was like, well, I have to go. I've called it into existence. I asked for it and it came to me. So at this point, if I don't go, I'm doing the universe a dishonor because it spoke back to me. So the journey itself was incredible. And I do say 
and I mean this from the bottom of my heart, I don't think it would have been as easy had I not done years of life coaching and therapy prior, because I had already gone through myself and my patterns prior to getting there. So by the time I was in the experience and sitting with ayahuasca, I was going through things and I was able to have my own back through that journey. So I say it like, it's not something to go out there and just say, oh, I'm going to go do this. It's to be taken very heavy. It's not something that should just be done because you feel like it's cool or you hear people talking about it. It's to be done with honor and a lot of work prior to even going, but truly profound. And I like to think that a lot of the way I walk through the world now is because of ayahuasca. I do feel like we are part of this beautiful big universe, but we are so connected to it. And sometimes we lose sight of that because maybe we are stuck in this capitalistic society and we do think that we want to be the Kardashians or we want to get whatever it is that our term of success is. But the truth is we are existing. We are here, we are alive and we have to honor that existence. So it's made me very aware of how precious it is to be here. And I'm very thankful for that. So it was, it was profound and I'm happy to continue to take those lessons with me going forward. And my friend who did ayahuasca recently, she's been in coaching, programming, therapy and everything for at least a decade. And she had said the same thing. I'm definitely not been doing the work that I probably should be. So I think I'm a few years out, but I definitely think I'm going to probably explore it. And before we get to our in or out part of our conversation, I know that you've been really open with your community about your mental health journey. How have you found balance between self-care and supporting yourself financially? What I've learned as somebody who does work in different areas and scheduling is all on my own terms, I have to honor my output based on what I have inside me. So I can't just withdraw my energy without making deposits. So if I wake up in the morning, I do like an energy check. I'm like, do I feel 100% today? Like, how do I really feel? Do I feel 85% today? Let me go based off of my percentage of how I feel and work based on that because what I don't want to do is ever put myself in a place where I have absolutely no energy left because then I can't do anything. So I really just try to honor my energy and see where I'm at. Can I work with this or not? And then once I figure that out, either do or don't engage in that anymore. I'm sure a lot of people listening have never done a daily energy check. So I think that's like a really great takeaway because that's what I'm going to be practicing moving forward because there's some days life is lifing all the time. That's what I just keep saying that like people are like, how's life? And I'm like, it's lifing. It's just chaos every single day. And what I found to be something that I need to do more of is reflect on like where I'm at personally versus checking in where everyone else is. What I try to do is I just try to let people know when I'm not feeling 100%, especially my team. I'd rather just be authentic and honest with them versus like trying to play super CEO. It's just impossible. I don't know anyone that's super CEO 90 or 100% of the time. So I think that holds space for other people. So I, I think that's such great advice. So going into the inner out, I have a lot of questions for you and some I might dig in, but whether this is meant just to be kind of quick, in or out reality TV. Out. <laughs> yeah, I can't watch it. <laughs> I can't. I know I'm on it, but it totally drains the life out of me. For me, it's out. For other people, it's definitely a source of like, okay, like I can forget about my life and watch somebody else's. But for me, it's a distraction because typically what we're watching is gossip energy and draining and fights. So it doesn't serve me to watch it, especially knowing that I already have to exist in it. It's a lot. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Talking about what you earn. In. Nice. Social media breaks. All the way in. Checking emails the moment you wake up. Absolutely not. All the way out. <laughs> Being unapologetically yourself. In. Responding to online hate comments. Out. Unless it's funny. 
got to be funny. You got to make fun of it. <laughs> awesome. Okay. Well, Tori, thank you so much for joining us at Girl Boss Radio today. Before we wrap up, is there anything you'd like to leave our listeners with? No, I'm just so honored to be here talking with you about all of this stuff. And I am so thankful that people hold space and listen. And Avery, you're incredible. You're such a great host. So thank you so much for having me. And it's been a pleasure. Awesome. Thank you, Tori. Thank you. Tori's multi-hyphenate career is a reminder we all need that now, more than ever, women will not be boxed in by societal norms. If our conversation has you thinking about starting that side gig, getting on OnlyFans, or finally writing that book you've been thinking about, this is your sign to do it. I've loved seeing your positive reviews on this season so far. Keep them coming and tune in next week for another episode. As always, this podcast is produced by Liz Goober and Victoria Christie and edited by Diego Domine. Until next time, keep blooming.